You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Four kittens, a crumbling English cottage. One touching tale of life in the British countryside. In Paw Prince at Owl Cottage, the sequel by Dennis O'Connor to Paw Prince in the Moonlight, the author tenderly and humorously charts the ups and downs of days shared with feline companions. In his first book, Then Bachelor Dennis, detailed his life with his much-loved hybrid Maine coon cat, Toby Jug. In the newest release, we come upon Dennis more than 20 years after Toby Jug's passing, as the now-married author returns, after some years in the city, to his former country home, Owl Cottage. Here in West Thurston on the Northumbrian coast, Dennis and his wife Catherine meet the daily challenges posed by four mischievous little felines whom the couple name Pablo, Carlos, Louis, and Max. Dennis, now a retired psychologist, who takes immense pleasure in applying his skills to the study of animals, and Catherine, an experienced researcher and educator in the field of disruptive and deviant behavior, learn and learn again over the course of the ensuing years that a cat can be not only quite the handful, but also the most cherished of friends. You're listening to On the Road with Mac and Molly. I'm your host, Donna Haleson. And with us today, speaking from his home in West Thurston, will be Dennis O'Connor. He'll join us after the following commercial break. So please sit, stay. We'll be right back after this pause. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership Plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. You're listening to On the Road with Mac and Molly on the Pet Life Radio Network. I'm your host, Donna Haleson, and joining us now from his home in West Thurston on the Northumbrian coast of Britain is Dennis O'Connor. Welcome, Dennis, and thank you for being with us today. It's very nice to be with you. Wonderful. It's good to hear you. And given my remote location and internet connectivity challenges, that's been quite the hurdle to overcome. I wonder if we might begin by setting out some of the backstory that leads us into Paw Prince at Owl Cottage. Perhaps you might begin by setting the scene for us, describing the Northumbrian countryside and Owl Cottage. Well, Owl Cottage is situated somewhere near, quite near, to the Cheviot Hills, and it's very wild country. 
very splendid. There's a sea coast, very close to, and uh, there are many castles around which date back to medieval times. And the flavor of the countryside is very rural, not so much town life, but rural life. And I like that because I like trees and I like rivers and I like landscapes that give a good vista. And that is what we have here in the cottage. How did you come to our cottage? How did you find it? Well, I originally found it uh, because I worked in Annick at the College of Education there. And because I liked the area, I decided to try and find a cottage. I'd always wanted a stone cottage in the countryside, and eventually I found one. And so I settled down. Now, I hadn't been in the cottage very long before Toby Jug came. How did he come into your life? How did he get his name? Well, one night there was a tremendous blizzard. It was January and heaps and heaps of snow. And after I'd had my meal, I decided to go out and just have a look at the beautiful scenery which the snow had made. The storm had stopped, and I was standing there just admiring the scenery when I heard this screaming, and I knew it was a cat in distress. And eventually I found her, and she was in a trap and had almost bitten her back leg off in order to get free. So after a struggle in which I was bitten and scratched, I managed to free her, and off she sped. I was very surprised at this because she'd lost lots of blood. And eventually I decided to try and find her and do something to help. And I tracked her through the snow to a barn. And she was upstairs in the barn on the top floor. And when I got up there, I realized why she'd been so desperate to get away. And it was because she had two kittens. So I bundled them all up in a hessian sack and headed for the vets in Annick. But he wasn't very happy about them, and he said they were too far gone to save, and so he put the mother and one of the kittens to sleep, and before he could kill off the remaining kitten, I put him in my pocket, and much to his annoyance, left and went home. And then my trouble started, because there I had a very diminutive creature aged about two to three weeks, desperately needing his mother, and he had me. And so after, after many of attempts to satisfy him and save his life, I eventually succeeded. But I lived in a cold cottage, and it was winter. And when I had to go to work, I thought if I leave him, he'll die of cold. So I took a large glass jug that I had for flowers and I put cotton wool in the bottom and put the kitten inside there. And of course he recovered, thankfully. And when he used to greet me from inside the jug, I hit upon calling him Toby Jug. That's how he got his name. He became much cherished by you. So very loved it seemed that it took another four cats to fill the void when he died. How did he manage to snuggle down so deeply into your heart? And would you please recount some of the adventures you shared in the years that followed? 
Well, initially, you see, he didn't open his eyes until he'd been with me three weeks. They were matted close. And eventually, through bathing them, one morning he opened his eyes and there were two beautiful little blue eyes. And he got such a shock when he saw me because I think he couldn't comprehend what this creature was. But, of course, I became his in place of his mother, uh, his other cats, his god. And I became everything to him so that his attachment to me and the way I lived was immediate and complete, 100%. And because of that, whenever I did anything around the cottage or in the garden, he followed me like a shadow because he wanted to learn from me and also because he valued the love that I could give him. And eventually, he learned to love me and became very, very important in my life. Indeed, when he died, I felt such a a degree of loss that I still miss him. I still think Mm -hmm. of him. Yes. He's still in somewhere. His little grisly face is there in my consciousness. He was so valuable to me. He was an exceptional cat. And being a Maine Coon, he had all the intelligence and an affable personality style. He was wonderful. I might note that I had my own Toby Jug, my own Maine Coon, who was named Taxi O'Toole. He was also a rescued cat, and he was the dearest, sweetest, and most cherished of friends. I can fully understand how a cat can work his way deep into your heart and never leave you. He died many years ago, but I am so grateful for all the gifts he bestowed, and I do miss him very much. But before I get off track and get too emotional and caught up in my own history, I know you left Owl Cottage for a time, and and I wonder if you might tell us how you spent the years in the interim between books after you left Owl Cottage. I was working at the University of Newcastle upon time, and I ran a clinic for youngsters and their families with behavior problems, mainly substance abuse and drugs. My life was filled with work at this clinic, supporting and trying to cure youngsters of intoxication and and addictions. And in addition to that, I had to lecture across the university to people taking degrees, students taking degrees. And that's how I spent my life, in the city, in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. And then when I came to retire, I decided that I really, really needed to get back to the country. And when I started looking around, lo and behold, I found that our cottage was up for sale. So I bought it, bought it, and it was wonderful to be back there. It had been very dilapidated, and my wife and I, because I married then, we decided that we would renovate it and put it right. And one of the things we needed to do was to have a cat. Mm -hmm. So we contacted a Maine Coon breeder, and we had our first Maine Coon called Pablo. It was quite wonderful, but different from Toby Joke, because he was a cat. He'd been brought up by his mother and his siblings. But nonetheless, he was very lovely, and we had a love relationship with him. Backing up a little bit in the story, I noticed that Paw Prince at Owl Cottage opens with signs. 
As we enter into the book, we find you and Catherine on holiday in Crete, where you encounter a charcoal gray she-cat that kept returning to visit you at your apartment there. You know quite aptly the cats are great manipulators, and your little guest was no exception. And as you were preparing to depart for home, she may or may not have left you a present, the nature of which called to your mind Toby Jug and Owl Cottage. Now, this episode was all followed by a dream, and I wonder if you'd share that portion of the story and, and then how that led you to return to your former home. Yes, indeed. Well, the little cat in Crete, she knew her business of how to cajole and manipulate tourists into providing her with some lunch and tea. And I was very happy to do this because she was quite a marvelous little cat. And then on our last day, we were out for a final run around. And when I got back, it was quite late. And I looked for her, but she wasn't there. And then as I was sitting inside the the apartment, I heard a scratching at the door. And there she was asking for a treat. You know, she'd missed me earlier. And I let her in and fed her. And then off she went. And I thought, that's the last I'll see of her. But later, when we were coming to leave in order to catch our aircraft, I had left my glasses, my sun specs, out on the patio. So I went outside again to get them and almost stood on something. And when I stepped down and looked at what was there in the darkness, it was just one tomato on a stem. And I thought, the cat must have left me this tomato, and perhaps it was a message, a message from Toby Joke that he was thinking of me and would like me to get some more cats in my life. <laughs> the reason you thought that was because he had a favorite red ball, yes? Yes, indeed, and that there'd been an incident when a neighbor came to me and she said, I like your little cat, this was Toby Jug, but he's been robbing my tomatoes from the greenhouse. <laughs> and I immediately understood because he liked little red balls that I bought from Woolworths, the shop in the town. And of course, seeing tomatoes, he thought these were his little red balls. And that's why he was stealing them, bringing them back to the cottage. <laughs> it interested me that when you returned to Owl Cottage, one of your first duties was to pay homage at the foot of an apple tree. What was there, and what happened in those moments? Well, th- this is where I buried Toby Joke. I buried him under the old apple tree because he, he loved to sit in the tree, and of course he could see me disappearing in the morning, and he could see my car coming back in the evening. And this was his tree. And therefore, when he died, I thought the appropriate place would be to bury him in his apple tree, under his apple tree. And when I did so, I was so moved that I made a promise, a solemn promise, that someday I would try and write about our life together. Now, it took me many years because I was a research psychologist and unused to writing for the general public, I'm writing academic papers is not something that everyone wants to read. <laughs> so I had to learn how to, how to write the story of my life with Toby Joker. 
And eventually I succeeded. It took me four years when I started. Once I retired from Durham University, I decided to put pen to paper and try to write it. And of course, course no one was interested. So I published it myself. And then two years later, Constable and Robinson, the publishers, took an interest and decided to take it from me and publish it worldwide. Now, since then, Corpins in the Moonlight has spread all over the world. And I've had reports from Russia, China, Japan, Australia, Brazil, where his book's been translated into all these different languages. And I've had many thousands of letters. I had one this week from a reader in Texas who extolled the book to high heaven. That's been my experience, that hundreds of letters, all full of pleasure at reading the book. In fact, there's a story I have. Recently, I had to spend a few days in hospital, and one of the nurses came to me to take my blood, take a blood sample, and she said, my name's Cecilia, and I heard that the other night you rang home to speak to your cat. This was Louie, who was missing me. But she said, I can advise you to read a certain book. It's called Portraits in the Moonlight. <laughs> and you really love it. And I said, I know I wrote it. She almost mm. fainted. I'm sure she did. I think the appeal of your writing is that you can feel in it the love you have for cats. You don't sugarcoat the downs, and there are a great many ups as well. In the new book that you've written, you give each of four cats, Pablo, Carlos, Louis, and Max, their very own chapters. And we should note here that they were not all with you at the same time. Pablo, for example, was in and out of your life. And uh, I wonder if you might tell us a little bit about Pablo. Well, Pablo... Maine Coon breeds of cats really draw upon many different species locations. And Pablo had very much the ancestry of a Norwegian forest cat. He loved trees, he loved climbing, and he loved hunting. And he would bring back rabbits and birds. And really, he, he saddened me. He was such a killer. But I loved him because... He was so affectionate, and he was so big and handsome, much bigger than Toby Jug had been, and so we got along fine. But then I decided that he needed a companion, and so I asked the Maine Coon dealer if she had any kittens, and she said, I have one kitten, which is such a behavior problem that I really would like to give him to someone if you'd like. She said, he's very badly behaved, and you being a psychologist, you might, you might be able to sort him out. Well, this was the most beautiful kitten I had ever seen. He was silver, silver and white fur, and he was so beautiful, but such a handful. The first <laughs> night we got him, he virtually destroyed the bedroom in which my wife took him up to, to comfort him. Now, you're referring here to Carlos, the out-of-control commando. Yes, he was. Catherine said, you always wanted a commando, because I was in the commandos when I was in the army. And she mm -hmm. said, well, you wanted a commando, you've got one. Mm -hmm. And so I took him, tried to sort him out, and he scratched my nose. So he mm -hmm. had to go out in the woodshed. 
and he started such a banshee wailing that I thought he'll, he'll wake the whole neighborhood. So I had to bring him in. But Carlos was so intelligent and so loving, as well as being a problem, that I just adored him. And when he was killed, he was killed on the road. I broke my heart. I couldn't bear the idea that he wouldn't be there to see me again. There are so many people, I think, who bond so deliberately with a cat that they're afraid to welcome another feline into their lives. We love them so, and we need them so, and so eventually, many of us, most of us perhaps, try again. Pablo seemed to touch you in the same way. He was exceptional. One more thing about Pablo before we go to break. How did you manage to get him into a harness? I was struck by the fact that you trained Pablo to wear a harness so he could go with you safely on nighttime walks. I really would love to know how you did that. We once had a complete lunatic of a Siamese cat who would climb the walls in our legs when we uh, tried on a few occasions to get him into a harness. Well, I think through talking with him and stroking him and telling him how much I loved him and explaining to him that I really needed to have him on a lead, a harness sometimes. Otherwise, he could get into difficulties. Now, he resisted, but I persisted. And in the end, (laughs) my love, I think, changed his attitude, and he kind of sort of gave up and said, oh, all right, I'll wear it for you. And he Mm -hmm. did. And we had many long walks in the woodlands and the fields, Mainly at night, because cats like to go out at night, and I'm a bit of a night owl anyway. So we enjoyed that aspect. I think it was persistence. I just kept on at him, kept trying him, feeding him titbits to reinforce him. And eventually he succumbed and decided, all right, you would wear the harness and the lead. As the days went on, you no longer used the harness, and Pablo was allowed to prowl and indulge the wilder side of his nature. You ponder in the book whether that wildness, that hunter in him, may have been what eventually led to his death. He left you for a time, and he returned. When you reflect upon his wild nature, what insights might you share with us about the natural instincts of cats? Well, Pablo could read the countryside. He could... When I was with him sometimes at night in the garden, I could pick up his thoughts, I thought, that he could hear rabbits moving out in the fields. He could hear beetles moving around, and he could certainly hear bats, because uh, I watched him looking at the sky, and I could see occasionally a bat fly past, but Pablo was able to see them all. And he could smell the countryside and read it, read it like a a woodsman. He knew the countryside and he knew it from instinct. And it was wonderful to see him climb a tree because he'd go right to the top and spread himself in the thinnest branches and just move with the wind. And it was quite spectacular to see him as such a prime animal, enjoying nature. And, of course, I trained him to the whistle, and sometimes he wouldn't come. But quite often, when I whistled for him, he would come down and meet up with me and come home. Well, let's take a break. 
When we return, we'll hear about Carlos, again, the out-of-control commando, Louis, the initially aloof, and Max, the melancholic, that eventually lived up to his full name, Max a Million, the one-in-a-million cat. So again, please, sit, stay. We'll be right back after this pause. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Victoria Schaefer, aspiring actress, babysitter extraordinaire, college student, and animal enthusiast, is on her own for the first time in New York City. Follow Victoria and her two dogs, Rue and Echo, as she cares for her furry friends and juggles home life and career, all the while managing to survive in the world's most hectic city. The exciting animal adventures and secret stories from both ends of the leash that make up the tales of the city. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On PetLife Radio. PetLife Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, and you're listening to On the Road with Mac and Molly on the PetLife Radio Network. I'm your host, Donna Haleson. And with us in this episode is Dennis O'Connor, author of Paw Prince at Owl Cottage. He's speaking to us from his home on the Northumbrian coast of Britain. Well, Dennis, your longest chapter by far is devoted to Carlos. You say that you saw in his eyes something you'd seen in the eyes of a leopard cub that you'd encountered at an animal sanctuary in Zimbabwe. You identified what you saw as an almost indefinable wild glint of life from the jungle depths which Rudyard Kipling had ventured to describe in the Jungle Book. Would you share some of the highlights from Carlos's chapter that confirmed for you that he was a commando of a cat? Carlos was so unusual. He loved everyone and he wanted to be involved in everything. Nothing faced him. He would investigate. Curiosity is something that cats have in great abundance. And he would investigate everything around him. And he decided that I was perhaps principal in the house and that I was interesting because I did interesting things. And he decided, unlike Pablo, to come with me in the car. Now, usually cats who are cats, that is being brought up by their, their cat mothers and their cat siblings, don't like to travel in cars. They usually whine and want to be out. Not Carlos. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, so I took him as part of my training schedule for him 
to try and just control his wild ways. I took him up to Bamborough, where there's a wonderful castle, an enormously beautiful beach. And we traveled along the beach, he in his harness on his lead, and of course he objected at times, wanted to uh, investigate every clump of seaweed that we passed, and wanted to uh, climb walls and so on. But eventually, I coaxed them to be more obedient. And especially when I was working in the greenhouse, he decided, and my wife supports this, he decided with me. And he would lie on the potting shed table, and he'd watch me as I pruned my tomatoes and other plants in the greenhouse. And so I decided to talk to him and lecture him. And I give him my introductory lecture in physics and psychology. And he seemed to lap this up. His, his beautiful eyes were fixed on me. And if I moved out of the greenhouse, he followed me and then followed me back again. And in this way, we became ex-close. Carlos was very much the cat. But you know, he had a sense of humor. And I remember if I went to the bathroom and closed the door, he would follow me and he would be outside the door. And in order to indicate to me, if I was having a shower, say, that he was there, he'd put his paw under the door and just move it around as if to say, I'm here, I'm here. And then when I was eating my breakfast at the table, he would come and lie on the table. Catherine didn't like him doing that, but Carlos persisted. And sometimes he'd lie there and pretend to be asleep and just have his eyes slitted close. And then his paw would come out and reach out to my plate to try and scoop a piece of bacon from it. And when I tapped his paw and told him not to, if a cat could smile, Carlos smiled. He had a real affectionate sense of humor. And I loved that about him too. Then along came the regal and quite aloof Louis. With him, you had to work on developing a bond. And then there was Max, who took a great deal of time to grieve the parting from his twin. There is a section in the book when you talk about his separation anxiety and your experience in helping him gain victory over this bond with you as his human companion. I love the passage in the book when you discover that Max was singing his purrs to accompany a piano concerto in the film Amadeus on the life of Mozart. Would you elaborate on all of this? Well, he still has it. He's quite marvelous in that sense. Max is a bundle of nerves. He will run and hide at a loud noise. He doesn't like strangers. And initially, when he came to us, he was always crying and mewing. And at first, I didn't understand why. And then I realized that he was missing his brother, his twin. And I was hurt because I should have realized that and made allowances for him. And I could have had his twin as well. Anyway, one night when I was playing the DVD Amadeus, The Life of Mozart, I was listening to it. Uh, I was sitting alone in a room listening to it. And suddenly I heard this grating noise. And I thought, oh, the DVD's gone bad. And so I was 
trying to adjust the sound. And then I realized it wasn't the DVD, it was Max. Max was lying near me and he was singing, he was purring. And it was Mozart's 21st piano concerto, second movement. And he loved it. And ever since then, I've noticed that, I mean, often I uh, play music in the house and uh, sit for hours playing music. Max likes to join me. And sometimes when there's classical music on, he likes Mahler and he likes Mozart very much. And uh, when he hears them and he likes a piece, his tail moves in cadence to the music. It's quite wonderful. And he purrs. He has a very baritone purr. And he purrs away when he hears his favorite music. But his absolute favorite, when we play it sometimes, his absolute favorite, and he's overjoyed when he hears this, is South Pacific, Rogers and Hamster. (laughs) He loves that DVD. There's a story about Max, you know. We took him to a catry once because we were going on holiday. And Max likes his home. And he's very attached to Catherine. And to me now. But initially, he wasn't attached to me because he blamed me for taking him from his brother. But after a couple of years, he warmed to me and would retrieve things, balls, balls of paper that I threw for him. He'd bring them back to me. But the thing that made him really like me was one morning when I was eating some venison sausage and Max couldn't resist the smell and he had to have a piece. And since then, we've been firm friends. Well, the time when he went to the cattery, he decided he would come home. Now, Louis and Pablo were quite content to stay there. But as we were walking away, Catherine was carrying the cat box, and she said, there's something wrong with this box. I said, well, give it to me. And I noticed it was lopsided and very heavy, which was unlikely. When we looked inside, in the back of the box, clinging on to the back, was Max. He'd worked out his intelligence that the way to get home was to secret himself in the cat box. I think so many people sell cats short on what they can understand and can manage to figure out. We don't give them credit. We just don't give them credit. One of the things I most appreciated about your book is that you give them credit. And I'm thankful for the lessons you learned and shared. I love in the end that you speak about silent watchfulness, an important lesson to learn. To my mind, the remarkable thing about cats, which I warm to with my personality is their stillness. They like to be still and quiet. And they have the sweetest sound of all is what they enjoy, which is the sound of silence. They love silence. If they want something, they will indicate it by meowing or wailing. But generally, they're quite happy, as I am, to sit in silence and just watch the trees and the birds and the wildlife. Now, are Max and Louis still with you? Do you still have them? Max and Louis are still with me, yes. In fact, I've just finished my fourth book and sent it off to the publisher today. And during the time that I was writing this book, Louis 
sits near me, near my computer, and, and helps me, helps me with his companionship. What is the title of the latest book? Well, the working title is Life with Toby Joke. It's a sequel to the first Paw Prince in the Moonlight. We should note that Paw Prince at Owl Cottage first came to print in Britain in 2010 as Paw Tracks at Owl Cottage. Paw Prince has just been released by St. Martin's in the United States. So are you continuing to write and are you continuing to enjoy life at Owl Cottage? Yes. As we close our time together today, would you please bring us up to date on your life? Well, yes, it's a very sad, a sad thing that I want to talk about which is that we've sold our cottage and we are moving to an apartment in the southeast of England called Eastbourne. And we're moving there this Friday. And I have very, very mixed feelings about it because I know it will break my heart to leave the cottage. But we're taking our cats with us. We've bought an apartment down in Eastbourne, which is on the southeast coast of England. Uh, just over the channel from France, and we're really thinking of retiring there, which is less harsh than the Northumbrian landscape, which can be very cruel in winter. And so that's what we're doing. And I intend, when I get down there, because it's very near the sea, I intend to write some poetry. That's my next venture. Will that be a new venture, a brand new thing for you? When I was at school, I wrote poetry, but I haven't since then. But I I just feel it would be something I'd like to do and probably write a novel, too. Anyway, that's all in the future. I do wish you well as you enter into this new chapter. I'm happy to have been introduced to your writing, and I'm grateful that we've had this time today to chat. Well, thank you. It's been been quite marvelous. Thank you for listening to me. (laughs) Bye-bye. Paw Prince at Owl Cottage first came to print, as we noted, in 2010 as Paw Tracks at Owl Cottage in Britain, but it is now available through St. Martin's Press in the United States. Thank you, Dennis, for being with us today. Photos and more information related to this program, including a link to a site where you may purchase Paw Prince at Owl Cottage, are found on Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly blog page. If you have any questions or if you'd like to share comments about this program, I'd encourage you to note them on that page. And as always, I thank you for tuning in today, and I do hope you'll come along next time as we head off on the road with Mac and Molly. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.